It's Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. Getting into the busy weeks of the year for you, it's almost spring, so there's a lot to be doing outside. Welcome to Green and Growing on 95.5 WSB, hour number two of the show, and it's going to start off with you and all of your great calls. Everybody on hold right now, 404 872 At the bottom of the hour, I'm going to have Clint Waltz along. You've heard Clint on the show before from the University of Georgia, turf grass specialist. And we're going to talk about pre-emergence herbicides right in the lawn, something you need to be doing right now to prevent those spring and summer weeds from popping up in your yard and just driving you crazy and giving you a headache. That way we won't have as many calls uh, late spring, early summer about how do I control these weeds? Because if you do it now, you're going to have a lot fewer. So uh, stay tuned for that. Clint is a a great friend of the show and a very good resource uh, when it comes to all things turf grass. 404-872-0750. Up first, Chris in Canton. Good morning. Good morning. So what are you trying to get done this weekend? Well, it's actually it's too late. I just needed your opinion. I've I've got uh, I've been growing fruit trees and uh, I didn't have as much trouble with the apple trees, but my pear trees finally were mature. In the last two or three years, I've, I've been taking the fruit off because uh, it's not really really ready and uh, ch- trying to let the tree grow and get established. Last year, they were finally growing. Uh, the the pears were uh, just huge. I mean, it was the best year, but I noticed that. It was so much fruit on the trees that, and I and I don't really know how to prune pear trees. I I tried to take some limbs out, but and I heard you say something about your neighbor, so I'm interested to hear your opinion. But I noticed the tops of the trees were just getting so overweighted, and I was afraid that they would split. So I started trying to take some fruit off, but I, unfortunately, I lost all, all the tops of my pear trees. They just they just split in half, uh, almost like a Bradford pear would do. It just, I just, it just killed me. So I, I came in there this winter, and I just had to uh, saw half the tree down. Oh, they're they're nice. about eight feet high now. Uh, so, I, you know, I'm probably a couple of years away before they start doing anything, I would think. Yeah. So what is your opinion what I can do in the future? So you started off really well by, by having that mentality, Chris, because really the first three years should be spent on training only and letting these fruit trees establish and grow a little bit stronger. So you kind of thin out the fruit to remove some of the fruit just so the tree can focus on putting out healthy limbs and all of that. And then maybe into the fourth and fifth years, the trees are allowed to produce a light crop. And with something heavy like apples and pears, thinning is still really, really important. So dormant pruning, that's what we're doing now to the fruit trees. Um, it's, It's an invigorating process. So what you're doing when you remove a lot of limbs and branches, there's going to be fewer growing points. And that sends, you know, signals back to the hormones of the tree and it responds by producing new vigorous upright shoots and all of that. So we want those sprouts to fill in and then that's going to create, you know, excessive foliage growth, leaf growth, and and eventually the more leaves you have and the healthier the tree is, you're going to get more fruit that way. So pruning now, I didn't exactly see how my friend Terry was doing it, but I know you you're concerned with the height. So making heading cuts is just fine when you're removing a terminal part of the branch, you know, things that are a lot higher up in the tree. Heading cuts are just fine. Thinning cuts is where you're going in and removing some of those branches that just may 
be growing in funny directions and crowding out other branches and things like that. But make sure you always cut back to a, a, a branch or a limb or something. Don't just make the cut in the middle of the stem. But height seems to be a concern of yours, definitely. And the weight of the fruit is going to be a little stressful on that. Um, so start there and, you know, use bypass pruners, that kind of thing. Um, or what's what's the shape? What do we think? I mean, how wide, how tall? You said maybe eight eight feet tall? They were they were probably that tall. Now they're only about uh, eight to nine feet because I had to, like I said, they just split. You know, the main trunk is fine, and uh, some of all the lower branches, but everything on the top just uh, just split. So. Okay. So what I want to do for you, Chris, if this is okay, I want to to email you a publication from the University of Georgia that can much better give you the diagrams and the discussion just so you know where to start when you're when you're cutting out some of those branches and also uh josh fooder is our master gardener our extension agent um in cherokee county and he is fantastic with all kinds of fruit and crops um and so i almost wonder if i couldn't just give you his email address too and it, reach out to him because he would he would see a picture of what you're dealing with and, and know exactly what to tell you um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that. If you can hang on, I'm going to get DeMarco to get your information, and I would love to be able to help you out that way. Thank you for the call, and thanks for being on top of it. That is really, really good that you're thinking about it now. Marlon, did I have that right in St. Simons Island? Well, the, the name is Lauren. Oh, Warren? Lauren, L-A-U-R-E-N. Lauren, okay. I'm really sorry about that. Well, welcome to the show. No. <laughs> well, thank you. And it's been a beautiful week for planting and on St. Simons. Uh, my wife and I have planted five roses this week, oh, wow. and I've planted a couple of tomato plants, so we're on the way. It's beautiful spring. Now, the roses, did you did you buy some in containers, or how, how did you purchase them? Were they potted? What? These are bare root. Bare root roses. roses. All right. Look at her. Yeah. She knows. She knows her stuff. Well, yeah. good. Right. All right. So what she are does. you what are you looking to add she, to the she landscape? Got, she, she has the green thumb in the family. I just grow tomatoes. <laughs> well, hey, that counts for something. That's really important. <laughs> yes. All right. She's looking for indigo spires, uh, and these are salvia or sage. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And she had some at one point. Uh, they died, and now she's looking for some more, and hasn't been able to find a place to purchase them. Hmm. Now I know proven winners is one. Um you know, grower that I've seen that has them. Um, and you may just have to to look up Proven Winners, go to their website and kind of see where they're distributed. Spell that first name. Uh, proven. Okay, she says she has. Yeah, okay. yeah Proven Winners. Um, and yeah, for anybody that doesn't know, salvia is like the number one plant for hummingbirds, purple, kind of a tubular-shaped flower where the hummingbirds can get in and, and uh, get the nectar and, and pollinators and all that kind of thing. Um, and they're, they're cold-hardy like in Texas and California and things like that. Here, we may not have as good luck making them over winter, um, but you're on the coast, so I know you've got a little bit warmer yeah. climate. But yeah. I, that's really the first name that comes out to me is um, is Proven Winners, that grower. See if you could maybe start there by looking them up online. Um, I would say Pike Nurseries for you. They, they would have them in stock, but that's not close to you, being outside of the well, metro Atlanta we, area. We don't have a, we don't have a Pike Nursery Mm-mm. in this area. No. And she hadn't found them. She hadn't found them online. She looked uh, online for that grower and has has not found them. Maybe someone in your audience might know and can pass it along. Yeah, maybe. And I almost wonder, like, 
if y'all were able to get your hands on some seed and start them that way, um, I don't even know if this is, it's maybe a little late to be doing it from seed, but maybe it's just the right time. So yeah, if anybody knows and Marlon or uh, Lauren and his wife are still listening, 404-872-0750 if y'all have some uh, suggestions about that. Well, Lauren, yeah, I mean, I, I'm sorry, I can't give you much better advice, but start there and maybe have her look into seed as well. Um, that would be easier just to maybe pick it out of a seed catalog and start it that way if you can't find the plant. All right. Appreciate the help. All right, Lauren, I appreciate you, and y'all have a great morning. Drink a cup of coffee for me, for sure. 404-872-0750. Kevin calling from Noonan. Hey, Kevin, welcome to Green and Growing. Hey, thank you. Good morning. How are you today? I am great. What's going on? Uh, So a couple months ago, I was supposed to move some gardenia bushes, and I did not. Uh Uh-oh. Am I still eligible to move them at this point in time? I think so. Do you see any buds on them yet? No, there is not. Okay, then let's do it. Yeah, I'd be a little more worried just because you have to be a little more careful, um, you know, if the buds are already starting to form. But if if not yet, go ahead and move them because a lot of those flowering shrubs are still dormant. If they're not spring bloomers, they're still kind of in the dormant stage, so they'll have time to establish when you move them to their new home before the heat of the summer and the roots will be able to relax. But some something to note, too, I know all of us, if we're transplanting something, we want to just go overboard. You know, we're already out there doing it. So we think, well, we got to water, we got to fertilize, we got to do this and that. It's probably best not to fertilize it when you move it. Just give it a chance. You know, you don't want to send the signals for it to start some crazy growth right now. You just want its roots to settle in. So go ahead and just transplant it, water it in really well, keep an eye on it and make sure, you know, the watering stays pretty regular, about an inch or two a week. Um, and that should be fine, yeah. And, and you know, dig wider than deep to get the roots, depending on how long the gardenia is there and how wide the roots are going out. You should be totally fine. And they're about five feet tall. Is it, would it be okay to prune them back a little bit or just roll with that five-foot high bush? Um, Prune what you need to. I mean, if there's any limbs that are just extreme, you know, and that you're afraid are going to break and the break is going to be kind of detrimental to them, prune, do a light pruning just to make it a little more manageable. But I wouldn't do a whole lot. Okay. Thank you so much. Yeah, you are good to go. I'm glad you called, Kevin. Good luck with that. Procrastination sometimes is okay. I'm actually transplanting shrubs for Jay Black tomorrow. I'm going to Jay Black's uh, property in Gwinnett County, and I'm going to transplant some shrubs myself. So if y'all are doing that this weekend, I'm going to be right there with you. All right, we're going to take a break, check traffic and weather. At the bottom of the hour, we're going to be talking about pre-emergence herbicide You need to care because you want to prevent those weeds in your lawn. So keep listening to 95.5 WSB. So, Kevin, I just finished talking to you about moving your gardenia, and uh, you can actually prune back a little more than I thought. You may miss out on some flowers, um, depending on how much you prune, but you can prune a little bit more than uh, I, I alluded to, so don't feel bad about doing that. All right, weather update brought to you by Finley Roofing. Today and tomorrow, mostly cloudy skies, but it's going to be warm. Highs in the low to mid-70s and lows only dipping down to about the high 50s. Uh, Stray shower possible, but uh, probably not likely. We won't really see rain until Monday. Green and Growing Growing with Ashley Frasca. Here's your garden to-do list this week. 
Number one, spray for control. Now's the time to spray fruit trees and other trees with like a dormant horticultural oil for insect and disease control. Number two, prune camellias. That's one thing you could do once they're done blooming, like the Sasanqua one's long, long finished. Give them a light pruning and then feed them now with Dr. Earth acid lovers like azalea camellia rhododendron fertilizer. The most important reason for pruning is just to improve the overall health of any plant generally, but also redefine the shape of camellias if, if that needs to be done once they're done blooming. Some of you still have, you know, Sasanquas are getting ready to open. They're going to be gorgeous, or Japonica rather, so don't prune those quite yet. Um, and number three, cut back your lantana, prune lantana back to about six inches to a foot off the ground. And you can move them uh, in a couple of weeks if you need to. Maybe wait till the new sprouts are like four to six inches long. 404-872-0750. I think I have time to talk to Dale and Jefferson. Hey, good morning. What's your question? Yes, uh, good morning. Hey. I got these bushes out front and they turn real green and I have to trim them back in the winter. It, they're real green, and they, the leaves turn real red in the late fall, winter. And I noticed one was dying, and I'd be pulling these twigs out that had leaves on. Yeah. In the middle of that, there's an ant hill. Oh, no. And I guess the ant hill is killing the bush, and I want to know how I can get the ants to move somewhere else. Yeah, so right now, like wintertime, you know, they're still kind of hibernating, but a little bit of warm weather that we've had, they're slowly starting to emerge. So Taro, T-E-R-R-O, is a brand of ant control that I've had success with. I think the plant you may have is um, Nandina or Burning Bush. I'm not quite sure you described those red leaves. That sounds beautiful. But look for Taro and just apply it at the right time. Read the label for that ant control, Dale. All right, coming up, we're going to talk to Clint Waltz from the University of Georgia. Craig and Cumming, you're holding with a question about goosegrass. We're going to talk about just that in 10 minutes. So stay tuned to Green and Growing on WSB. Growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries on 95.5 WSB. Some great calls in the show for sure, and we will get back to taking calls in about 30 minutes here on Green and Growing. 404-872-0750 is the number you should just store in your phone if you're a fan of WSB. That's always the, the call-in talk studio number to get through to the hosts. Um but uh, talking about lawns, and we're really thinking about getting outdoors, and we want the best lawn possible this spring and this summer, so we're thinking about weed control. I always bring along the best experts in the business to help you, to give you really settled, scientifically proven advice, as it were. If you're a do-it-yourselfer, you're uh, taking care of your own landscape and your own lawn, we're going to help you along with that. So, to end the month, I've got my guest, Clint Walsh from the University of Georgia, turfgrass specialist, back on the show. Hey, welcome back, Clint. Thanks, Ashley. Good to be back. We're getting into the, the warmer months, fingers crossed. February's been a little colder than, than an average February for us here in the metro Atlanta area, but people are itching to get outside. We're, we're a few weeks away from spring. So with that, I thought that it would be appropriate to maybe have a conversation with you, Clint, about pre-emergent herbicides, just to school everybody on the basics. Do you think that's something we could do? Absolutely. It's a good time to, to talk about that. I want to ask you, it doesn't matter the lawn that we have. We have tall fescue, we've got Bermuda, we may have some centipede, 
But really what we're honing in on here with this discussion is the treatment of weeds. So here in the South, we have all kinds of weeds that grow the same in any of those lawns, right? Pretty much, yes. So people's complaints most often on the show, crabgrass and annual bluegrass, poa annua, are two of the the big complaints. So let's start with those. If we use a pre-emergent herbicide, that means it's preventative. We're going to go ahead and put that down so we see less crabgrass or less annual bluegrass in the lawn. Share with us the timing on that that would be most effective. And let's go start actually with a little bit of understanding those two different weed species because they're almost opposites of each other. Okay. Um, Annual bluegrass is a, both are annuals, both bluegrass and and crabgrass are annuals. So they do their entire life cycle in one season. But uh, annual bluegrass is a cool season annual grassy weed. So it actually germinates in September, October, and then throughout the winter some. So putting out a pre-emergence here in uh, February, March, or April really isn't going to do any good for for annual bluegrass or or poanya. And the reason people are seeing it now is because it's up, it's growing, it's starting to flower out, and you get the little seed heads on it that are white. And and that kind of so for poanya, you you need to do that your pre-emergence on that end of August, early September uh, for it. Crabgrass, on the other hand, is a summer annual grassy weed. It's going to do its growing in the summertime, which means you have to put your pre-emergence out for it, control it in the spring. So we're coming up on that right time for that one. So understanding the biology between those two weeds certainly helps you be effective with, with that herbicide application of controlling those weeds. Both are grassy weeds, right? So we also need to know, in order to properly identify the weeds that we're combating in the landscape, whether it is a grassy weed or a broadleaf weed. For a simple, easy diagnosis between do I have a broadleaf weed like a dandelion or do I have a grassy weed like crabgrass? If you want to just look at the veins on the leaves, I can tell you a long way right there. So I can remember you saying that a pre-emergent herbicide is a little more effective on one of these than another. So you talked about managing expectations there. That's correct. Our pre-emergence herbicides are much more effective on grassy weeds than they are on on broadleaf weeds. They have a little bit of activity on broadleaf weeds, but they're, it's not real good. So the common pre-emergence herbicides that are used out there in the market or that you find in your big box retail stores or even that your commercial applicators use are far more effective on things like uh, annual bluegrass, crabgrass to a degree as well on goosegrass, foxtails uh, in, in our grassy species than they are on like dandelion or even something like a uh, spurge or clover or something along those lines. And it's a bit of a misnomer. Pre-emergents don't actually prevent weed seed from germinating. In fact, germination must occur for a pre-emergence herbicide to work. Oh, wow. What has to happen is is that weed seed has to have the right environmental conditions, so the right temperatures, the right light, the right moisture, and that weed seed germinates. And if a pre-emergence herbicide is present, as it puts out that root, that first root that comes out of the seed, that root comes in contact with the herbicide. The herbicide's taken up into that seedling very early on and kills that seedling very early on in this developmental process as opposed to preventing that seed from actually germinating at all. So a difference between broadleaf and grassy weeds is that the uptake that may happen right there with that first root may be much greater in grassy weeds than it is in, in broadleaf weeds. So there could be some subtle physiological or biochemical differences within the plant that makes one much more susceptible than, than another. Well, hot dog, I've been saying it wrong this whole time. So we do, we're going to get germination irregardless, but that just kind of triggers the process of when this herbicide kicks in. 
Absolutely. And, yeah. and you're going to get germination and it takes it up quickly and you never see the plant really materialize because it still it dies very early on in the in the germination process by taking up the, uh, the herbicide in the root system through that first root. We kind of want the pre-emergent herbicide there on the ready, you know, as these seeds are going to start to germinate. And like you said, they have to have the right conditions, be it soil temperature, air temperature. So when we start thinking about the applications of pre-emergent herbicides, what environmental conditions are we waiting on? Well, for crabgrass, for example, and that's what we're putting pre-emergence out for right now or should be putting it out for in the next few weeks, is for the summer annual grassy weeds. So, for example, crabgrass. It germinates when air temperatures and that surface soil temperature reach about 55 degrees, which for us here in Georgia will be variable between Valdosta and Ellijay. But in the Atlanta metro area, that can occur anywhere from, say, mid to late April, uh, depending on where you are. Maybe some years actually a little bit earlier than that. So your pre-emergent herbicides have to be out before that germination occurs because if your germination occurs and the root gets down below where that herbicide is, then it can pull water and nutrients from the soil below that herbicide and the plant will survive. Uh, the absolute key to a pre-emergent herbicide effectively working is getting it out prior to germination. So getting it out early is, is, is important. And every year is different, of course. We mentioned earlier in this segment, you know, that it's been a colder than normal February, according to the, the data that you're looking at. But a general rule of thumb, let's say for Metro Atlanta, what's that, that date that we want this done by? You know, we like to say something other like March 15th, and that can be a little variable from year to year. But if you use mid-March um, as, as your guide, I think you're going to be right more years than you're going to be wrong. Good. Okay, I like to hear that. And now this is the age-old thing I wanted to ask you before we let you go. With the warm season grasses, not a worry, right? We're using pre-emergent chemical safely on Bermuda mm-hmm. and centipede and those kinds of things. But we kind of run into a catch-22 with tall fescue this time of year because we're fertilizing now. Uh, and we think about, mm-hmm. you know, doing another seeding application, maybe in March or April or something like that, to thicken up some some bare spots in the fescue. But we can't do pre-emergent and fescue seed at the same time, they're going to counteract one another. So that age-old, which do I do first, and how long do I need to wait? <laughs> right. No, absolutely. These pre-emergent herbicides are very effective on, on our desirable grasses, just as they are on our uh, grassy weeds. So uh, the, the herbicide doesn't know the difference between a tall fescue and a crabgrass plant. <laughs> Both are very susceptible to, to our pre-emergent herbicides. So if you're going to reseed tall fescue, you don't want to put out your pre-emerge, or if you do, you want to wind up being... Oh, gosh, probably six weeks post-germination on it. So uh, you you put your seed out. If it takes a week or two to germinate based on soil temperatures, once you see germination and grass start coming up, then you can start your clock on when you might put your pre-emerge out. Um, And unfortunately, that can sometimes run in a situation where that is after those temperatures are 55 degrees and crabgrass has already germinated. Because of that, in tall fescue, many times I like to look at a product that contains dithiopyr. Or okay. dimension. And the reason for that is, is that product has what we call a little bit of reach back to it. So it'll actually kill young crabgrass seedlings a wow. little bit. So it can get things, it can get crabgrass at say one and two leaf stage, where some of the other pre-emergent herbicides aren't particularly effective with reach back. Um, but dithiopyr has a pre-emergence activity and just some very early stage reach back. 
So if you're going to do something like that with tall fescue of seeding it and then come back on the pre-emerge, the pre-emerge product you might want to look at there should contain dithiopyr. Now, would that be the active ingredient listed on the bag that we're looking at just as a consumer product? Yep, yep. So if you look at the tag, and all bags have to have a, a pesticide tag on them. Uh, so if you look at that, you're looking for something that contains dithiopyr. The only other one from a warm season standpoint that I can think of that's kind of like our tall fescue scenario we just discussed would be centipede grass. So if you have anybody that's thinking about uh, reseeding centipede in uh, May or early June, if it's already on your mind to possibly come back in and put some centipede seed out uh, to, to thicken up an area or because you have a thin area, uh, you probably don't want to put your pre-emergence out there because it will work on centipede just as well. And uh, believe it or not, I've, I've encountered those kinds of, of situations before. So it's not an unfamiliar scenario to me. Clint Waltz is helping you not waste money. You need the best, yeah. the most bang for your buck yeah. here. So really be careful about the timing. And all of us as homeowners or, you know, landscapers, too, we have to read the label. We have to be responsible in knowing how to properly use these things. So Clint Waltz from the University of Georgia. Well, how can folks reach you? GeorgiaTurf.com is our UGA Turfgrass webpage. Uh, we put a lot of our information up there. And I'm going to try to do better on Twitter this year. I'm going to push you be, along because I think you would be a uh, rock star on Twitter. Well, there's been times where I've, en- I've enjoyed being on Twitter, and other times it just kind of gets to be a little overwhelming. So I've <laughs> kind of become a Twitter quitter here the last <laughs> year or two. And, uh, but, uh, again, at Georgia Turf on Twitter would be another spot where you could follow me, too. So spell out Georgia. So at Georgia Turf is, is my Twitter handle as well. Clint Waltz, thank you so much for joining me again on the show. My pleasure. Thank you, Ashley. So for Craig and Cumming and others that are wondering, you know, dithiopy are one of those active ingredients. Bonide makes a Crabgrass Plus. That's a good pre-emergent that's going to have that active ingredient in it. Um, another one that's a pre-emergent and a post-emergent kind of works to kill weeds both ways, uh, Bonide Weed Beater Complete. So those are just a couple of the names of products that you could find, even at Pike Nursery. All right, we're going to take a break. We have a traffic red alert. We'll be back to green and growing. Stay tuned. Warming up a little bit, 45 degrees. So, of course, the one night in the last few days that it uh, dipped down and got a little cold, not last night, but the night before, it was like 70 degrees, right, on Thursday. So I brought all my stuff outside. I brought the aloe outside. I brought the pineapple plant outside and a maidenhair fern that I'm trying so desperately to revive, and it's tiny, tiny, and left them out, and it got really cold uh, Thursday night into Friday. So I hope they're going to be okay. But um, right now it's not below freezing. It's not going to get below freezing this weekend. Channel 2 Action News meteorologist Brad Nitt says today and tomorrow, mostly cloudy for the weekend. Highs reaching the mid-70s. Lows only around 57, 58 degrees. Um, rain 70% likely in the forecast for Monday. So just stay tuned. The complete weather update comes to you in less than 10 minutes here on WSB. Green, green and growing. Ashley Frasca's top three things to do this weekend. So I wanted to get a little more in-depth with number one, spray for control. What I mean is you're preventing insect and disease on fruit trees. So spray fruit trees now and other trees with dormant horticultural oil. So like Bonide makes a horticultural and dormant spray oil. What that does is smothers overwintering insects and or their eggs. Now you got to read the label before you use something like that. But um, most of the time it's, it's, you know, for use... Most times of the year, I'm trying to find the label. I had the label pulled up, so I wouldn't tell you 
the wrong information. Here we go. So it's uh, safe for use during the dormant stage, which is what we're talking about now. Uh, green tip stage, that's when like the leaves of the blossom buds are just starting to show. Delayed dormant stage and during the growing season. The one time you don't want to spray fruit trees and flowering trees is when the, the flowers are wide open because the pollinators and the bees and stuff are getting in there. But this is very important if you keep uh, a home orchard to keep up with the spray routine. And you can find more if you go to the University of Georgia Extension, uh, extension.uga.edu, with great calendars and publications on kind of the, the timing for uh, fruit tree spraying. Number two, prune camellias. Once camellias are done blooming, so your sasanquas are, your japonicas are not, your japonicas are just opening, or maybe they already are. But when camellias are done blooming, go ahead and give them a light pruning and feed them as well. Uh, according to the American Camellia Society, the most important reason for pruning camellias, yep, you guessed it, just to improve the overall health of the plant. You know, remove the dead stuff, stuff it doesn't need. Um, and many times, if they haven't been pruned in years, that's going to be the case. Uh, and you also want to prune them to redefine their shape. So I've got a sasanqua that blooms beautifully in October, November, big white flowers. And it's never been pruned. And some of the limbs are just growing, you know, further out than others. It's a tree form. So something to think about. You could definitely prune that now. And number three, a lot of you love your lantana, Miss Huff, a perennial type. Uh, cut that back. Prune lantanas back to about six inches to a foot. Now is a great time to do that. And if you need to move them, you can move them in the spring, just maybe in a few weeks when you start to see new sprouts, maybe four to six inches long. And you've been looking at lantana, and it can look a little leggy and a little ugly right now. And something else that comes to mind, too, is Rose of Sharon. I've got a Rose of Sharon, which is kind of like the hibiscus family. It's not a, not a rose at all. But it's just been twiggy all winter. You know, it just keeps those bare brown branches. And that can be totally cut back right now, too. Actually, that's on my long list of things to do this weekend is to go ahead and get uh, get on top of that. But try to get most of your pruning wrapped up for things now. That One of the things you are not pruning, you're not cutting back, is the spring flowering shrubs like azaleas and things like that. You know, look very carefully at the shrubs you're looking to reduce the size if they have buds on them right now and they're going to open here in the spring that's not something you want to cut back but this is the time of year to be working on that nothing but your calls coming up in the eight o'clock hour and of course at 8 30 pike nursery will be along to share a beautiful vining flower i'm going to get one i'm going to get one i have an arbor in the backyard and it's going to be amazing so 404-872-0750 i want to talk to you coming up on green and growing it's ashley frasca on wsb This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.